Welcome to Harlow on Healthcare. I'm David Harlow, and I invite you to join me by my virtual hearth as I sit down with healthcare leaders to discuss building the future of healthcare. Today, my guest is Dr. John Blair, who is the CEO of MedAllies and has been since its inception in 2001. We'll talk about what MedAllies is in just a moment, but Dr. Blair is a physician who's been there and done that around medical practice, around healthcare practice management, around uh, health information technology, and healthcare interoperability as well. Uh, Dr. Blair worked as a general surgeon for 20 years before becoming president of the Taconic Independent Practice Association, which was a network of over 5,000 physician members. He and the association had been heavily involved in pay for performance operations and has been involved in healthcare delivery transformation over time. John, thank you for joining us today and welcome. Well, thank you, David. I'm excited and happy to be here. So the question of the moment, of course, is what is a QHIN? Okay, let's roll back a few years to the 21st Century Cures Act, which was legislation that the government put forth to try to improve the interoperability between different healthcare stakeholders. So certainly the providers, but also the hope was to move it beyond to payers, consumers, and uh, public health and others. And part of the 21st Century Cures Act was the concept of a trusted exchange framework and common agreement. The acronym is TEFCA. And that was getting at trying to create a common standard platform that the national networks would use and become a network of networks. So you got standardization of the networks. There was also the concept of a uh, standard governance across these networks so that there was a say in what was going on from the users all the way up to policymakers and back down. So that was, there was an interaction there. And then lastly, that there is a legal construct so that it all flows down. It's identical uh, for anybody that connects to these networks. So you've simplified those three things and that's TEFCA. And under TEFCA, when I talk about the networks, the QHIN is the network. It's the Qualified Health Information Network. That's what the acronym stands for. And this has been several years in the making. As I said, 21st Century Cures is, was around 2016. And the TEFCA announcement came out about two and a half years ago as to what was actually going to be there under the QHINs. And so about, oh, about a year ago, the first applications went in for QHINs, and we were a couple of months behind that initial group, but we caught up and finished with four others that were all announced this month, or I'm sorry, last month in December. And so we're one of the five QHINs that are up and running now and live 
in the United States. Now there are others uh, coming along, and we. If wish I remember correctly, the approvals were about a year ago, and there are about another half a dozen or so that are working to get up and running. So you're in the first cohort, and there's another cohort coming up behind. Yeah, this is really the beginning of delivering on the promise of interoperability. Is that an overstatement, an understatement? It's I, it, No, it's not an overstatement or understatement. It, it does deliver. What I would say is the promise of interoperability has been evolving and has been successfully occurring. The, the market has done a lot of that. And also the government, through some different incentive programs, particularly out of Medicare, have bumped that along too. However, it's stalled in treatment, interoperability for treatment between providers and hospitals and post-acute care, et cetera, is doing reasonably well, but it's bogged down. You've got about 70% of the hospitals that are connected. You've got, you know, a little less than that on the ambulatory side, but it's kind of bogged down. It's kind of stayed right there. So what TEFCA does and these QHANs will do is the hope, and I believe it's going to happen. I'm very bullish on this. We wouldn't have gotten done all we've done to get here if I wasn't, but the hope is that 70% will push out to 80, 90, up, up, upwards, 100%. Again, I think that we've done reasonably well on interoperability, but there's still a lot more to do. And uh, the, this whole piece with TEFCA and the QHENS, as I said, have the promise of increasing the reach of connectivity but it goes beyond that. There is now coming into focus something that always needed to be there, but it's not just laying the pipes and connecting everybody. It is actually what travels through the pipes and the quality of the information. So that now becomes the newer focus as connectivity is rounding third base and heading home. And then, and then the other thing that's going to happen is as I said, treatment is, I wouldn't say well healed yet, but it's certainly doing reasonably well. This is going to allow multiple new purposes of use, purposes of use on the network. So in addition to treatment, you're going to have individual access service. I mean, we've been working for years to try to get the consumers to be able to get access to their records. Well, now, under TEFCA, the QHINs, the, the participants that are connected, if there's an individual access or a consumer-facing app or application that's on the network, they will, with the proper security and identity and everything, they will be able to get their information from any connected entity. So that's a new use case that's a big deal. We will be bringing up two consumer-facing companies in the next in, in this quarter, and one of them has the potential of having up to 150 million patients on them. So that's the kind of thing that's happening that goes way beyond just the treatment use case. Sure. So that's the so that's a connection between the MedAllies QHIN to a patient-facing app, and what has to be behind there is the 
connections from care organizations to your QHEN and presumably connections to the other QHENs and to other care organizations in order to reach that grand total. Yeah, that, that's Here. very important. We brought up a very important point that uh, I think deserves a little more comment and emphasis. It's when you connect to a QHEN, whether it's us or Epic Nexus or eHealth Exchange, whatever another QHEN, whether you connected to us or another QHEN, any connection gets to every single endpoint on that QHEN and every other QHEN. So it is truly a network of networks with the amalgamation being everybody that's connected on all networks. So any again, anyone that's querying our network hits every endpoint on every network. Right. So if I'm not mistaken, MedAllies started out in the direct trust era. Is that correct? No, as you mentioned, I, it was back in 2001. You know, I'm an old guy that's been doing this for a while. The We started, well, before I hit that, I just want to mention, I was just going to say that in addition to consumer, public health is going to be, is another important use case. Government benefits is another important use case. Treatment or treatment and operations, or I'm sorry, payment and operations, which will bring in the payers is another important use case. So again, this gets, this goes way beyond treatment and really does bring in all healthcare stakeholders. I mean, even, even social determinants of health will ultimately make it into this. So multiple other use cases. Now back to MedAllies, we um, started, we grew out, you mentioned the Taconic IPA and me practicing and um, <clears throat> I was actually doing all three for five years. I don't know how I lived through it. That's exciting. Yeah, doing surgery and running a 5,000 doctor IPA and starting up a technology company. But anyway, initially we just, we came out of, it, it rose out of a need that was perceived in the Taconic IPA, Taconic IPA in Eastern New York, where we were north of New York City, covering about eight counties. Um, I'm not part of that anymore. I have been out since 2015, but we were watching what was happening in various places around the country, like Kaiser and different integrated delivery networks. And we knew digit, the practices would, would uh, be getting digitized. And we were trying to figure out how to more meaningfully um, implement technology, off-the-shelf technology. So instead of just slamming in a system in a doctor's office to get better reimbursement, we really went deep into how to use that to transform how they practice with a strong lens on um, improving quality and reducing costs. A lot of research out of Cornell over the years on that work, and but that's what how MedAlly started. So right out of the gate, we were concerned about coordination of care, transitions of care, and that kind of thing, because there was a lot of evidence of medical errors and all sorts of quality aspects that could be improved with that. So that was our focus, and that's why MedAlly started. So between 2001 and 2010, we brought up a health information exchange in the very early days and operated that 
for a decade. And so we cut our teeth really on the traditional regional health information exchange. We got interested in push connectivity, point to point push connectivity, really thinking about primary care providers referring to specialists and specialists sending the consults back and discharges from the hospital to the primary care providers. I mean, back in those days, half of the time a patient showed up in the primary care provider's office after hospitalization, the doctor didn't even know about it. So, you know, we were trying to solve those problems. And as direct bubbled up, we got very involved in that before it was even called direct. Some of the work we were doing in the Hudson Valley got caught up, uh, pulled into the national effort. So that brought us into direct. And when it launched in 2012, we were really encouraged by some of the larger EHR vendors to uh, roll out a national network. The, the view was, you guys have been doing this and are very familiar with it, got to run a national network. MedAllies went from a regional company in 2012 to a national company running, bringing up a national network. So we've been in the direct space I, I would say decade one was HIE, decade two was direct, and decade three, we uh, have moved into this QHIN space. A brave new world. Oh, it so is. It is. If you're, if you're just tuning in, this is Harlow on Healthcare coming to you on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm David Harlow, and my guest today is John Blair, CEO of MedAllies. So you've... You've parsed out the evolution of MedAllies into uh, decade one, decade two, and where we are today. Would you say that the evolution over the last decade is, in fact, evolutionary, or is this uh, revolutionary? Are we moving to from the from the Model T to the EV, or to something beyond? That's an interesting question. I guess it depends on who you're asking. I'm going to stay away from rodeo analogies because I got I, I got hooked on that on another podcast and <laughs> it kidding me about being a cowboy. So, I mean, for me, I, I there's times when I've thought it was slowly evolutionary, and there have been times that it's been revolutionary in each of those decades. And I was not pretty naive when I started on this in 2001. I thought we'd have interoperability pretty well licked by 2005. Oh, and, a lot of people thought that, right? Well, you, I know, but I shouldn't have thought that because I knew how tough healthcare was. Mm -hmm. The thing I didn't really put in the calculus was healthcare and technology is even exponentially harder. As I look back again, through the decades, uh, there's been some re revolutionary bumps. And so, again, I think it's a combination of both. But I'll tell you, it's I enjoyed being a surgeon. I was a laparoscopic surgeon, really enjoyed. There's a lot of innovative stuff happening then, and I'm I'm drawn to that. But I've never regretted going into this because it's been exciting all along. It's been challenging, and it, you've got to be tenacious to stick with it. But it's been pretty fun. So yeah, there's been some revolutionary times. Right. So some of the exchanges fell apart because they were not nonprofits, grant funded, et cetera. Do you feel more secure about the long-term stability 
of QHINs, and I wonder if you could sketch out for folks the funding for the long-term success of a QHIN. Well, you can take not-for-profits and non-HIEs and find companies that go under. So I think it all depends, for-profit or not-for-profit, on your value proposition. And if you're depending on public dollars, you better have a plan for those public dollars to last you for the next 20 years. But at the end of the day, if you're producing value that that allows you to sell at a price point that covers your cost, you're going to be sustainable, just almost by definition. I wouldn't have jumped into this. I remember somebody making a comment way back in the HIE days when these struggles were happening in there, and they said, well, one thing about John, he doesn't dive into it unless he can figure a sustainable model from day one. doesn't mean that I'm always right about it, but I wouldn't have gone into this QN thing had I not thought that it would be viable. It's turning out probably to be more expensive to build and operate one of these networks than I had thought about. When you start to get into the electronic master patient index, the EMPI, and mm. some of the costs around that, when you're talking 150 million, 200 million patients or people in those indexes, and some of the volumes you're looking at on this, which were indirect, you talk about maybe a million a month. For these, we're up in the 20, 25 million transactions a day already, and we're just beginning. So my point is, I probably underestimated the ongoing costs, but I think that there will be, I think the pricing that this is going to drop to, because I think it's there's going to be a lot of co competition. I don't know that it'll be fully commoditized, but I think the pricing around this will cover the costs. Now, will it cover the costs for 20 or 30 QHINs? I would be surprised unless the market expands dramatically. But will, can 8, 10, 12 make it? I think so. But you're going to see some winners and some losers. And I don't think it's going to have anything to do with profit or not, profit or for profit or not for profit. I think it's going to probably have a little bit to do with your business model and some other factors. But I do believe that TEFCA is going to survive. It's going to thrive. And I think QHINs will be here to stay. Right. So you've sketched out a number of different sort of uses for the data whether it's uh, clinical use, continuity of care, uh, whether it's uh, payer-provider communication, and whether it's uh, research. And I guess I wanted to focus a little bit on that last category and whether sort of various kinds of research. Is there a danger in treating the data as a commodity? Is that a, a, a benefit? I, I think different groups of folks might think about this differently. I'm just wondering how you think about it. Yeah. I mean, you've a great bulk of data to deal with here. Yeah, you've got good questions. I didn't mean to say the data would be, get commoditized. I meant that the pipes, the piping, the actual... Oh, I understand. Yeah. I understand. So, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. My point was it's not going to cost an arm and a leg to connect to a QN, I think it'll be reasonable. Uh, in terms of data, I think data is data and it's gonna stay the way it is. I, I think that 
although some Q hens are going to have data, and I don't know if they're going to use that for the purposes of some of these edge systems that make their business model on pushing the data out to life sciences, as you just mentioned, or pharma or payers or whatever, or do analytics on it. But for those of us that are doing it just as a network, as a conduit, data doesn't, what happens with the data is not, has nothing to do with our network. It has to do with the companies that do things with data today. Data is monetized in many ways today. The output of analytics from data and then also the moving that data on to the places I just mentioned, payers, pharma, life sciences. I do think it's going to be interesting because most of those companies, I think all of those companies today that move data on have proprietary networks. So they've got to be getting their data from somewhere, right? So they get it from large EHR vendors or various places, and they follow the law, and there's transparency, and there's consent from the patient. So all of that's pretty well buttoned down, But and this is what I think is going to happen. They've built these networks. I was talking to a major insurance company just the other night, and, and they said, John, we've got interfaces into the major EHR. We, we've got interfaces into Epic and the in the Oracle, Meditech, Altera, ECW, Athena, et cetera, et cetera. And so we already can get that. How will Tefka make a difference? And you'll get the same kind of comments from these companies that do request of information or what we were talking about before that are getting the information and getting it onto life sciences. They're going to say, we've already got this. Why do we need Tefka? And my answer back is, yeah, you've got 50, 60% of the country. What about the rest? And Tefka gives the opportunity to move that 70% of hospitals, et cetera, to 80 or 90 or whatever. And that resonated. They said, well, yeah, I mean, if we can get some of that that we haven't been able to get, that's important. Then I pointed out another thing. I said, okay, let's say you go with Tefka and you run side by side your proprietary network that you had to build and maintain. And if you find out you're getting the same data quality and amount through the QHIN, are you going to keep operating that infrastructure? And they said, no, it's expensive as heck. We'd be happy to drop it. I said, there you go. So to me, that's what's going to ultimately happen here with those kind of companies you're talking about. Right. Well, all very interesting, Sean. I'd like to sum up with my final question for our conversation, which is, if you were to wake up tomorrow and find yourself five years in the future, what is one thing in healthcare that you would hope or maybe expect to find has changed drastically? Well, I'll make it simple. One thing you hear about still today is people complaining about how they need to fill out a a form every time they go to their doctor in a new form when they see a new doctor and go through all of that because none of that stuff is moved around. I don't, I think that those people will, that they'll be saying to their children and others back Five years ago, I had to go every darn time I went to a new doctor and fill this stuff out. And and people will say, oh, gosh, I can't believe you had to do that. So I think that just the basics there, what's going to happen, I believe, you've got 
multiple different electronic health record systems out there and that are widely installed and don't really work together yet well. They connect, but they don't work together well in terms of the workflow as you transition. And I think that you will get much closer to one virtual system with regard to how they work with each other. I think you'll still have the competition, you'll still have the different EHRs, et cetera, but I think the coordination will make it in terms of workflow almost like one single system. Well, I look forward to that. Let's hope I'm right. I hope it's not gonna take 40 years. <laughs> I hope not. Well, thank you again, John. You have been listening to Harlow on Healthcare. Join us at healthcarenowradio.com. Let's continue the conversation on building the future of healthcare together at hashtag Harlow on HC. I'm David Harlow, keeping the fire going and holding a seat open for you. Until next time.